Tonight we're in the book of Jude. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Jude. It is a short epistle as we're going through the Bible. So there are only verses in Jude. So, Looking at the book of Jude this evening. I don't know what to do with this random piece of paper, so I'm going to make a uh, paper airplane and see how far it goes. <laughs> Is anybody good at making paper airplanes, like you can actually make them? We need to talk after service. Every time I make them, they go like 18 inches and just like that, so well, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love for us and, and the power of your love, that your, your love is unconditional it's consistent. It doesn't turn on and off. And as so many things change in our lives, we know that you never change. The warnings that are in the book of Jude, God, we pray that we would be open to hearing them and really processing them this evening, that we would have hearts to, to learn. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of this short epistle is to keep yourself in the love of God. Not that we deserve God's love or not that if we do our part, then God loves us more. But to stay in that place of trusting the gospel, stay in that place of believing what Christ has, has done for us. Keeping ourselves in that place where God pours out his blessings on our lives. So there's a warning in this book to stay away from certain things that are going to keep us from experiencing the love of God. It's a really powerful book. There's a lot of history in the Old Testament tonight. We're going to be referring to, to lots of things in the Old Testament. Jude is very passionate about the false teaching that's creeping in uh, to this group of believers and how it may rob them from uh, the love of God. So I hope that we're challenged and encouraged this evening. We'll just jump right in to verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. He introduces himself as a bondservant, which is a slave by choice. The interesting part is that he is the brother of James, which also makes him the half-brother of Jesus. James is the brother, half-brother of Christ, and so is Jude, the half-brother of Christ. So that tells us several things. One is that Mary and Joseph went on to have normal husband and wife relationship, had children. Uh, this perpetual virginity of, of Mary is not uh, scriptural. We also know from the Gospels that his brothers did not believe in Christ as the Messiah, during Christ's earthly ministry until the resurrection of Christ. It was the resurrection and ascension of Christ where they come to trust in the Lord as, as their Savior. That was the convincing point uh, for them. Jude could have introduced himself as the half-brother of Jesus. That would get people's attention. It could probably get you some speaking engagements. But instead, he simply introduces himself as the bondservant of Jesus Christ. He wanted to be known as a servant of Christ. We don't know the specific believers that he's writing to, but he is writing to Christians, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Three promises. First, we're called. And this speaks of our past, that God called us, that he saved us, that he intervened in our lives sanctified by God the Father. Sanctified means to be set apart for holiness, set apart for God's work in our lives. This is the present work of God in our lives currently. And then preserved or kept in Christ speaks of the future, 
We have this promise that God's going to keep us, that he's going to preserve us. The gifts that God gives to us in verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Great things to be multiplied in your life, to experience in a greater degree in our lives. Mercy, the judgment that we deserve, not God not giving us judgment. Peace with God, peace of God. No matter what's going on in your life, to know that God has it, that God's in control. And then the love of God, experiencing the love of God, those things being multiplied in our lives. I think we would all say, I would love to experience mercy, peace, and love in a greater degree. Verse 3, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Throughout this letter, Paul will, or excuse me, Jude, I'm so used to saying Paul. Jude doesn't get a lot of publicity. Uh, He refers to the believers as beloved. He says, you're loved. You are loved by God. And he says, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So you can see the urgency on Jude's heart when he writes. I find it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to all the saints. He says, guys, I'm writing to you about our common salvation. We all have the same salvation in Christ, but I want you to contend for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. Many times as believers, we don't think it's our job to contend for the faith. We go, maybe that's for apologists. You know, maybe that's for college professors. Maybe that's for pastors. Maybe that's for gotquestions.org. You know, the, those guys are the ones that, that contend for the faith. But, but here Jude is writing, he's saying, it's, it's our job as believers to make sure that we're diligent about knowing what we believe, being able to explain it to others, and also being able to dissect and discern false teaching, say, wait a second, that doesn't line up with faith in Christ. Because as we'll see, there is false teachers that want to come in and rob us from the love of God. Doctrine points us to the love of God. If someone's teaching us false doctrine, it's going to remove us from experiencing the, the love of God. And so please be encouraged, be exhorted tonight to take that on and say, yeah, I need to contend for the faith. And that may seem like that's too much. How do I contend for, to the faith? Is continue learning. Be diligent to learn. Be diligent to study the scriptures, to know, to know your Bible, to know what you believe and be able to explain it to others. It seems as though that there's some that are being deceived that Jude is writing to and they're not even aware of it. And this letter would, would cause them to wake up and be aware of the fact that they're being deceived. Here's the false teachers in verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These false teachers, they just creep in, and they creep in unnoticed. Jesus described them in wolves in sheep's clothing. So they look like believers. They act like believers. They talk like believers. The only thing is, is they don't eat like believers, right? Sheep may be mean, sheep may be kind of stupid, but they don't eat each other to the point of death. They may bite each other, but, but wolves devour sheep, and that's, that's their main source of food, of filet mignon, you know, sheep, sheep, whatever. 
mutton stew. You guys fill in the blank, right? So for us to be able to say, okay, there are going to be people that come around the body of Christ and they look and act like believers, but they're, they're false teachers. And they're marked out long ago for this condemnation. And Jude's going to take us through sections of the Old Testament sh- to show us similar examples of false teachers. And this is what they do. They turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So they take the beautiful work of God's grace and twist it and say, God's grace is for your lewdness. It's for your sensuality. You can do whatever you want inside of the grace of God because God has forgiven us of our sin. And when we think about God's grace, God's grace isn't a license for sin. If we think being saved by grace and the unconditional love of God is like, well, I I can just do whatever I want, then we've misunderstood the gift of Jesus Christ. We haven't fallen in love with, with what Christ has done for us in falling in love with Jesus. And Paul writes in Titus 2, and, and he defines the grace of God, says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. There's no greater teacher than grace. And a true understanding of grace is going to instruct us to live godly, amen? So, so these false teachers are saying, because of God's grace, you can just do whatever you want. And instead, God's grace moves us to a place of saying, I want to serve God. I want to live a godly life. He gives us examples then of these false teachings and how it's affected in the Old Testament. He gives us examples of what might keep us from the love of God. If the theme at the end of the book is keep yourself in the love of God, then these are things that are gonna prevent us, examples of what prevents us from experiencing God's love. So verse five, I I want to remind you that though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who didn't believe takes us back to the book of Exodus. The children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God uses Moses to deliver them. They're now in the wilderness. In the wilderness, they begin to experience a heart of unbelief. Come to Kadesh Barnea, the boundary of the promised land. Don't believe that God can take them into the promised land. God says, you can't go in. So they wander in the wilderness They die in that wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, and then their kids are the ones that go into the promised land. And this is an example of what's going to keep us from experiencing the love of God, and that's our unbelief. Our unbelief. If the challenge is to keep yourself in God's love, how does that happen practically? It happens through faith and trusting the Lord. So they experienced God's deliverance, but yet they still walked in unbelief and they died in the wilderness. So we want to be careful that unbelief doesn't creep into our hearts and lives, especially when it comes to the gospel of believing in Christ's death and resurrection. How do we build ourselves up in faith? By hearing the word. As we study the word and listen to the word, that's how our faith is going to be built up. Another example is the angels. In verse 6, And the angels who do not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 
In Isaiah and Ezekiel, we find reference to Lucifer, to Satan, and his desire to be like God and elevate himself. And because of that, cast out of heaven, ultimately to have bondage in hell, as well as some other angels with him. They didn't keep their their proper domain. They went from being worshipers to being self-exalters. So what's something that could keep us from experiencing God's love, just like the angels, if we replace worship with exalting ourselves? In Ezekiel 28, verse 17, speaking of Satan, it says, You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. So God's humbling of Lucifer as he exalted himself. Church, worship is so important. We see that throughout scripture. What your heart chooses to worship, it really matters. And if we're worshiping the Lord and exalting the Lord, we're gonna find ourselves in the love of God. But if we start to get our eyes off of the Lord, we're gonna promote ourselves, we're gonna focus on ourselves, we're gonna worship ourselves, and that's gonna allow us to stop experiencing the love of God in such, such a powerful way. We've probably experienced that at different points in, in our hearts and lives. So here's the idea of what Jude is proposing. You've got the children of Israel experience God's deliverance, but yet they end up in a place of unbelief. You find angels who are in the very presence of God, seeing God, beholding God, but they fall prey to exalting themselves and ultimately find them, themselves in hell. So, so these are pitfalls that can easily be fallen into that we're to be careful of. And then the third example is Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. And as Sodom and Gomorrah and these cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah and these surrounding cities had been very blessed by God to the point when Abraham and Lot had to separate because they had too many herds. Abraham lets Lot choose and Lot says, I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah because it's so fertile. It's a very rich place. It's, there's a lot of things, things happening. It's a good place for my, my sheep to be, for my cattle uh, to be. But yet they gave themselves over to sexual immorality. To the point where Abraham intercedes with God and says, if you find 10 righteous people, don't judge Sodom and and Gomorrah. And Abraham stops there because he feels like that's a safe bet. So the angels are sent into Sodom and Gomorrah. The men notice, hey, there's some new guys that are here. And they knock on Lot's door and they say, hey, we want to rape these guys. We want to know know these guys in a a sexual way. And Lot's like, "Not, not on your life. All that were spared from Sodom and Gomorrah was Lot and his two daughters. Lot's wife, she looks back, and angels told her not to, looks back with longing, and she's turned to to salt. And this is used as an, an example of not to go the way of Sodom and Gomorrah, that it's very possible to be very blessed by God, to have prosperity, and not continue in the love of God. You know, we're a very prosperous nation financially. We have a lot of wealth in, in our country. And you're like, I don't, I don't feel very wealthy, you know. Well, compare it to the rest of the world that lives in 
a great degree of poverty. I mean, our systems, our roads, our access to food, our access to education, but has that blessing from God necessarily resulted in a greater understanding of the love of God? And so Sodom and Gomorrah is an example is you can be blessed by God, but not necessarily be walking in the, the love of God. In verse 8 and 9, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Jude now jumps to modern time false teachers. The false teachers that these believers were dealing with and we find a description of them. First is they're dreamers. They have unrealistic expectations. And they love to, to build people up with, with these dreams. Now, does God want us to dream? Absolutely. Is there things that we should have vision for? Absolutely. But these, these dreamers are, are taking that desire for, for vision in a place that God never intended. And then they defile the flesh, meaning they pollute the flesh. So there's compromise in their life. And then they reject authority to have this boldness to speak against evil dignitaries or evil spirits. And then we get this big, bizarre example in verse 9. Did you guys catch what was going on there? We have Michael the angel, the archangel, and he is in a dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. If, write this down, Deuteronomy 34, Moses dies, God buries him. He's called the servant of the Lord. God says, Moses is so special to me, I'm doing his funeral. And it's just me and Mo. And I'm going to bury him. And the children of Israel couldn't find his body. And then we get this where Satan wants the, the body of Moses. And Michael, the archangel, is in this dispute with him over the, the body of Moses. And Michael goes to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. So these false teachers, they take it upon themselves to, to speak against evil spirits, saying, I, I'm the one who is rebuking Satan, or I'm the one who is, is rebuking this demon. And the example is, is Michael, even being this powerful angel, never took it upon himself to rebuke Satan. He always said, the Lord rebuke you. So it is important in spiritual battle and spiritual warfare Sometimes we go, wow, something's going on here. I feel like Satan's really attacking me, attacking my family. What are we to do? We're not necessarily to speak to Satan or to speak to demons, but just like Michael and say, the Lord rebuke you. Jesus, would you deal with this spiritual battle? Jesus, would you rebuke Satan? He seems to, to be attacking. But the idea of these false teachers is an elevated view of self, you know, they're starting to say, hey, look, I, I can take on the enemy. I can, I can take on, on, on Satan. And some of people may look at this and kind of go, this is an issue of semantics. Uh, I think it's important, you know, and, and maybe you haven't known this section of scripture, haven't been instructed in this, and you're, you're used to you personally rebuking Satan or, or you personally rebuking a demon. I don't mean to offend you, but we don't have power. It's like, uh, you little skinny Eric are rebuking Satan? I don't think so, right? You know, it's like, you have a hard time rebuking the dog, let alone Satan. <laughs> so, so it's like, who are we to, 
to go up against Satan and say, you know, like, get out of my house. He's like, yeah, right, you know. But to be able to look and say, there's so much power in the Lord. And and in the name of Jesus, Jesus, would you rebuke Satan and his work in my family and in my life? See the difference? I'd much rather say, Jesus, you deal with it than trying to deal with it in and of myself. In verse 10, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beast in the things they corrupt themselves. So they're speaking against things that they don't even know. Now we're given explanations. So we have examples of what keeps us from the love of God. And then we have these explanations where we see the way of Cain, the way of Balaam, and the way of Korah. So verse 11, woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain. So, so these false teachers have gone the way of Cain. Cain and Abel, the first brothers in all of Scripture. It was a real leave-it-to-beaver family. I mean, these guys loved each other. They cared for each other. Father knows best. I mean, they, they just sent texts to each other, verses, and building each other up, and loved to take communion together, would have weeks of, no. So Cain and Abel, they got to the point where Cain kills Abel. That's the, that's the first family in all of Scripture ends in homicide. They, they weren't being featured on Focus on the Family's podcast. <laughs> they were broken. And here, these false teachers, and the danger for us is that we can go the way of Cain. So what was the way of Cain? Cain gave over to his anger that was rooted in jealousy. So Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Cain's sacrifice was rejected. And instead of receiving that correction from the Lord, he gets jealous, he gets angry, and decides to to kill his brother. Is jealousy powerful? Absolutely. Will jealousy keep us from experiencing the love of God? Absolutely. Will our anger keep us from experiencing the love of God? Absolutely. You know, do we need to be on guard? Is there a warning about going the way of Cain? Absolutely. Do you look around and go, why are they getting blessed? You know? Well, they seem to have an an easier time. Or God seems to be accepting their sacrifice. Every time I look around, something's going wrong in, in, in my life. That's, that's a negative way to think. To be able to look at God and look at Christ, say, God, you're so good. You haven't given me what, what I deserve. I'm not doing this comparing game. If your heart's in that place where anger is starting to build and there's a response to envy and jealousy, don't go the way of Cain. Having run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. So these false teachers go the way of Cain, but they also go the way of Balaam, who he was greedy for profit. The children of Israel are traveling through the wilderness, and they're coming close to Moab. Moab sees this large multitude, over a million people, and they go, wow, they're a real threat to us. They could destroy us. So they come to Balaam, and ask Balaam, this prophet, to curse the nation of Israel. Balaam says, well, let me pray about it. Let me ask God. God says, no, you're not supposed to do it. So they bring some bling bling to Balaam. They try to hire him, say, look, here we are in our Mercedes. Uh, We're offering you some, some, some cash to be able to do this. 
God, God still says no. They make Balaam another offer. Balaam asks God. Finally, God says, okay, Balaam, you can go. Go, go cur- curse, curse my people. So Balaam gets on his donkey, and all of a sudden, his donkey start, stops moving. So he begins to whip his donkey. And the donkey sees that the angel of the Lord is opposing him. So the angel is saying, look, you're not going any further. The donkey sees it, but Balaam doesn't see it. So he's just whipping his donkey. So God opens the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey's like, I've always been a good donkey. Like, what? <laughs> what in the, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to, to protect you here. So what in the world's going on in that story is it wasn't God's will for, for Balaam to go. Balaam was being the dumb donkey. God finally says, okay, you can go, and then opposes Balaam to try to get his attention. Balaam continues to go, and whenever he tries to curse the nation of Israel, it comes out as blessing, which is really encouraging, because sometimes as you walk with the Lord, there will be people that will want to curse you, and to be able to say, God, you're able to take that cursing and turn it into a blessing. And you think everything's kind of wrapped up with Balaam and you don't really think too much of it. But then we find as we read a little bit further that Balaam goes back to Moab and says, if you send your women in amongst the children of Israel, the Jewish men will not be able to withstand and they'll enter into sexual sin and idolatry and then God will judge them. And so they do that and it works perfectly. Balaam chose the prophet at the sake of destroying the nation of Israel. He got paid off for for that advice. So the warning with Balaam for our lives is don't get greedy. Don't get greedy for money. Paul told Timothy, and he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed is going to keep us from experiencing the love of God. When I'm greedy for something that God hasn't provided, I'm saying that God's love is not enough. And this is also something to to look out for as you're evaluating false teachers if they're greedy for profit. The explanation with Korah and perished in the rebellion of Korah. This is Numbers chapter 16. Korah is looking at Moses and he says, Moses, why do you think you're such a hot shot? Why are you doing so much with, with the congregation of Israel? And he was envious for Moses' position. He gets 250 leaders. They were men of renown. They were well reputation, and they lead this rebellion against Moses. Moses gets on his face before God. God, how do you want to deal with this? God says, in essence, I'm going to deal with this in the morning. God opens up the earth and swallows Korah and these 250 leaders. To, to make a point of saying, hey, I, I'm for Moses. The children of Israel get all upset. They start complaining more about Moses. God sends a plague, 15,000 die. And God warns us in saying these false teachers have gone the way of Korah. And basically, they're fallen prey to envy for a position that God hasn't given to, to them. Wise is the woman, wise is the man that says, I am thankful where God's planted me. This is where God's put me. I don't, I don't need somebody else's position. So these warnings are against anger, greed, and envy that keeps us from God's love. Would this be the list that we would put together that would endanger us from experiencing God's love? We would probably put things like 
abusing drugs and abusing alcohol and pornography and adultery. And those things are very real, aren't they? But what does God warn us against here? Anger, greed, and envy. If I'm in anger, if I'm in greed, and I'm in envy, it's keeping me from experiencing the love of God. Verse 12, these are spots in your love feast, while the feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. This is a blemish on your love feasts. As you come together to celebrate communion, these false teachers are, are in your very midst, and they're not ashamed to serve only themselves. Continuing to describe these false teachers, they are clouds without water, carried about by winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. These false teachers are false advertisement. A big, nice cloud that should produce good Colorado snow, but blows over and doesn't produce anything. Aren't you guys ready for like a good 12 inches of snow, right? And when the land gets dry like this, uh, it causes us to, to cry out and say, man, we, we need some, some moisture. Our land needs some moisture. So here's these clouds, but they don't have any water. These false teachers, they boast of great things, but there's no rain of refreshment. These trees look like they should produce fruit, but nope, twice dead, pulled up from, from the roots. If you've got a tree in your backyard that you've planted for fruit, it's a bummer if it doesn't produce peaches, right? It's a bummer if it doesn't produce apples. It's like, oh, it's looking good this year, but nope, no fruit, and that's these false teachers. I don't want to be there, do you? I, I'd rather under-promise than over-promise and under-deliver. You know what I'm saying? So, so here are these guys, they, they look good, and they look like they're going to be refreshing in your life, but they don't fall through, they don't produce. Continuing to describe them, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. That's an interesting description. Like the sea has a way of just foaming up all of its nastiness. Like it's just it's just going to come to the surface. It's going to rise to the surface, and storms have a way of doing that. So, so their shame just keeps coming out. They're wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So, so there's no guidance there. There's a star that's wandering in the, the wrong direction, so judgment is, is reserved for them. I wouldn't want to be a false teacher. Seems like it makes God pretty mad. You know, when you mess with his word, when you mess with his name, you mess with his character, you lead people astray, it's a strong exhortation to false teachers. Verse 14, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds, which they've committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Hey guys, aren't you glad you came to Wednesday night study? You're getting an Old Testament survey in one Bible study. So who in the world's Enoch? Enoch walked with God, the scripture tells us, and he was not, meaning that God took him home to be with the Lord. He's a foreshadowing of the rapture of the church when God raptures his church without death to bring those believers home to, to be with the Lord. 
Enoch was seventh from Adam. So as you look at the genealogies going from Adam, he's, he's the seventh, and he prophesied about God's coming judgment. In verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. In their mouth, great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Good thing to stop and consider, how much do I grumble? How much do I complain? God sums up his will as this, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. God knows that grumbling and complaining is so dangerous for for our souls, but giving thanks is glorifying to God. It's good for us. So they grumble, they complain, they just walk according to their lusts, but they sound good. They got great swelling words, and they flatter people to gain advantage. Don't fall for simply a good orator, someone who can speak well, someone who can write well. Test it to see if it's biblical. Test it to see if it lines up with the character of Christ. And be on guard against somebody who overly flatters you. If they're just telling you all of these great things, you go, well, one, you don't know me. And two, what are you trying to get from me, right? You're, you're just, you're flattering me. You're buttering me up for, for a purpose. I, I love verse 17. It says, but you beloved. So this is the direction of these false teachers, but there's a contrast with us. We're going in a different direction. Hopefully we're not going the way of Cain, the way of Balaam, the way of Korah. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the prophets, or excuse me, by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. The apostles have warned us about false teachers, that there will be false teachers that are going to go according to their ungodly lusts. So we need to be aware. If there's this teaching in the name of Christ and the grace of God that says, look, you can believe in Christ, you can receive the grace of God, and just do whatever you want. Go, wait a second. That's not the message of the gospel. God died for me. He sent his son to forgive me from the penalty of sin, but also to free me from the power of sin. In salvation, we declare what? That Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? That he is in control of our lives. I, I get this. Okay, you're my master. I'm following you. You know, Jesus taught us and said that if we want to gain our life, we must lose it and daily take up our cross and follow, follow him. That means dying to our lusts, dying to our sinful pleasures in order to, to follow Christ. Verse 18, these are sensual persons who cause division, not having the, the spirit. It's good to look at the fruit of someone's life. And is the fruit of their life division? Is everywhere they go, division results. They divide the body of Christ. In verse 20, again, this contrasts, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So we can be building ourselves up in the most holy faith. How do we do that? I think a great practical way is Acts 2.42. Let's turn over there really quick. Acts 2.42 tells us what the early church was steadfast in. If we say, I want to keep myself in the love of God, I want to keep growing, I want to be built up in the most holy faith, Acts 2.42 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Steadfastly. They said these are the four things that we're going to do. The apostles' doctrine is the study of God's word. You want to build yourself up in the most holy faith? Study the word. Read it. Pray it through. Spend, spend time with it. And then also, they were committed to fellowship. They took the time to be with each other as believers. They were in relationship with other believers. How many times are we built up in faith as we spend time with believers in, in fellowship? And then also, the breaking of bread, which is communion in the early church when they had a meal together. They would pause and remember Christ's broken body and his shed blood represented in, in communion. And then also, in prayer. They were devoted to prayer. So these are very powerful ways for us to continue to build ourselves up in faith. Let's go back to Jude verse 20, and then also praying in the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct your prayers. As we're spending time in prayer, allow the Holy Spirit to put on those things on our heart, what we should be praying about. And here's the theme of the book of Jude, verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. Can Keep yourself in the love of God. After studying this book, it becomes pretty clear how to be able to do that. Don't follow the example of the children of Israel in, in the wilderness. That, that's not the direct. Don't follow the example of the angels. Don't follow the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't follow the example of Balaam, of Korah, of, of Cain. But keep yourself in the love of God. Continue to believe in Christ. Be on guard against false teaching. Watch out for anger and greed and, and envy. And God's love is so powerful, isn't it? Why wouldn't we want to keep ourselves in the love of God, continue growing in the love of God? Verse 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This is looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ, looking forward to that moment that we're going to be in God's presence. In verse 22, and on some have compassion, making a distinction but on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. The message of verse 22 and 23 is do whatever it takes. If there's someone that's falling into one of these false teaching, if compassion's going to be what it is to bring them out, by all means, use compassion. But if you've got to yank on them a little bit, yank on them a little bit. Because if that's what it's going to take, then that, that, that's what it's going to take. And be discerning of if it needs compassion or it needs grabbing them out of, the, out of the fire. The book ends with a wonderful promise in verse 24 and 25. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So God wants us keeping ourselves in the love of God by not falling prey to false teaching and anger and greed and envy, but it's not all up to us. Also, God is keeping us from stumbling. And I love how this is worded. Now, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. And he's able. He has the ability to preserve us and to keep us. And then he's going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What a day this is going to be when we get home to be with the Lord. And Jesus is saying, look, I have finished the good work that I started in him. And Father, I'm now presenting him faultless. He's robed in my blood. I have paid the price for him. So we're so thankful that God is, is keeping us. 
that God is able to present us faultless. And we end with this praise of who the Lord is. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. God is the one who receives all of the glory. He's the one who has kept us from stumbling and presenting us as faultless. As we end tonight, I think it's important to stop and, and consider these warnings that Jude gives. Jude is seeing things that concern him. He's seeing people get robbed from the love of God. And he's saying, look, be, be careful of these things. These things are real and they're out there to really trip you up and to trip me up. And for us to go, okay, this, this is for me. This, this isn't for someone else, this is for me. And how, how, how my anger could keep me from experiencing the love of God. I don't, I don't want to go the way of Cain. Oh, my greed. How, how many times does the greed keep me from experiencing God's love? I'm so consumed with what I don't have. Willing even to, to trade in godliness in order to, to receive more monetary gain. You know, how many times does, does envy keep me from experiencing the love of God? And Lord, I, I want to be in the place where your love is poured out, where I can experience, experience your love. Okay, there's these false teachers I need to be on guard of. And then to be in a place of rest and trusting and saying, okay, Lord, thank you that you're going to keep me faultless and present me before the Father. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, the book of Jude. Thank you for loving us to, to give us this honest truth. And please uh, protect us from believing false teaching and falling prey to it. Lord, protect us from anger and, and greed and envy. And help us to, to see your amazing promise of you keeping us faultless. As we celebrate communion tonight, Lord, would you meet us afresh in communion? May, may we personally and a church family be committed to Acts 2.42 and be built up in the faith. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.